Hi, welcome to the Frequency IoT Podcast. This is Stephen, and I'm uh, broadcasting from Atlanta today. And where are you at today, Brian? Hi, this is Brian Huey. I'm in Studio 515 in Des Moines, Iowa. Well, I was thinking about it, Brian. We were together in New Orleans about two weeks ago, and uh, we didn't even take a selfie together. You know, that would have been that would have been <laughs> nice to have for our uh, social media feeds, but. That's correct. I don't. I don't remember much from that show, and that's not because it was in New Orleans. That was because it was quite busy. <laughs> you know that um, when you look at the show floor for Distributech, it looked fairly organized. But um, I found as I was going through the show floor, for example, um, there were a lot of technologies that were very similar that were that were scattered, right? And I think they were scattered because they were just slightly different right so when you start talking about energy and a couple of the smart cities technologies that were out there you know everyone's in a fight to differentiate themselves just a little bit so yeah and for our listeners that that do not know distributech is uh it is the mobile world congress or the consumer electronics show version um uh up for the utility and smart city segment. So anybody who is releasing new products, new services, existing products, services that feed those verticals, they are um, at Distributech. And so that's where Steve and I have met up. But yeah, I would agree, you know, with there, there are several trends um, that are going on in the utility industry and they all, all seem to be chasing around either uh, making the grid smarter, uh, growing the top-line revenue for uh, for utilities, or increasing reliability. It seems to be around those three themes, and uh, and of course you have a smattering of products that all are all across the board. So yeah, it, it was good. To, it was good to see you there. And there was a lot of technologies that had evolved, right? So some of the technologies there at the show had been around for for years, right? But now that homes are a little bit more efficient, certainly, you know, just simple things like lighting is much more efficient, right? They've had to, to change the way that they measure um, usage across the grid and usage down all the way to the home or, or a commercial building. Um, so to see some of the changes that some of the companies were making was pretty interesting. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, there's, uh, without going into too many details, but there are quite a few technologies that are out there that's really changing. Um, I, I, I wouldn't say it's changing. Uh, I was going to say changing the utility model, but that's not correct. It's more changing the services that they deliver and how it's being controlled. Um, because, uh, I mean, the biggest trend that's occurring uh, f- with customers that are in that segment, either utilities or cities, cities are trying to do things. Um, they're trying to increase public safety, engage citizens, um, and provide that return back to, to taxpayers, whereas utilities, they're dealing with um, coal-fired plant shutdowns, um, excessive costs for nuclear, so that's driving them towards more distributed energy resources, which tend to be periodic, so it's uh, different times of the day, uh, which is requiring um, uh, communication you know, to those end devices quite a bit. Well, it was it was definitely a good show to see um, just how many 
companies that have been in that space for a long time were certainly evolving, but all the new companies that were getting into that space too, I thought that there's a lot of uh, smaller companies there that had some exciting technology, but um, wanted to see um, Brian kind of what, what's some of this since Distributech, what are some of the things that you've been looking at and some things that you found in- interesting out in the, uh, the IOT space? Yeah. So um, a few things, um, you yeah. As some of you may know, I've refocused uh, some of my uh, uh, refocused my efforts into smart cities and utilities. That's always kind of been um, a interest area of mine in uh, driving uh, driving edge communications and analytics. So um, some of the some of the trends that I'm seeing are is increased analytics at the edge. So actually creating platforms uh, for cities and for utilities. Um, so you know though that is uh, one of the areas where where uh, cities can can um, deploy these edge node devices and uh, and um, and equip them as they see fit, you know. So they might they might, they might load different services into those edge devices, which uh, kind of gives util or cities a, a flexible um, uh, flexible deployment model. Uh, the other thing that's been uh, that I've been keeping my eye on is the announcements around 5G. So we've seen um, we've seen a couple carriers come out and. Um, launch 5G in different markets, and uh, some carriers have been beaten up in the press about it. Um, it, you know, I think what people really don't realize is the kind of lock around the term 5G, meaning you know, it, it's it's a flashy icon that's um, that's on a phone. It's it's resident. It, creates a new user experience but there's multiple different tiers underneath 5g that uh, the industry is kind of getting hung up around and I don't think anybody's really kind of clearly communicated that so you know there's 5g that uh, um, that some carriers are launching you know up in the 35 gigahertz band um, or 27 gigahertz which you know you know, what that means to the average person is that's like broadband to your home or to your business. You know, it only propagates a few hundred feet, despite what, um, yeah, so a few hundred feet. And then there um, is uh, LAA, or License Assisted Access, which runs parallel to Wi-Fi. And then there, uh, a third component would be carrier aggregation, and this is all under the 5G umbrella. And then there's a fourth component around the IoT, so or um, or reducing latency out to the edge. And I think all carriers have have uh, have um, you know adopted that kind of vision. Now, how they pitch that out to the marketplace is interesting, but you know we're seeing quite a bit of traction around 5G. And a, and a lot of it's even just broken down to confusion around what is considered, you know, fixed 5G wireless, right? And a lot of that's up today in that uh, ultra wideband, you know, frequencies that you're mentioning, and then mobile 5G, right? So right. So just just between those two, I think there's a lot of uh, confusion in the marketplace. But hopefully, you know, by the end of the year. Um, you know, hopefully that becomes a much 
clear message, I think, out to whether you're a consumer with a smartphone, right, or if you're um, a company developing IoT devices um, specifically around 5G standards. Right, exactly. And then I think, uh, wasn't it Qualcomm came out with a new chipset, a 7 nanometer chipset? They did, a very small one, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So... Well, it, it's funny, you know, obviously you and I know, you know, your refocus around uh, one of your interests, right? Smart cities, utility type space. Uh, this week, I actually got a chance to do a little IoT work in a um, an area that I personally enjoy, which is uh, weather. Mm. So I got an opportunity to um, take a visit to uh, a place called the Collider. It's in Asheville, North Carolina. And there's a lot of NOAA scientists, a lot of weather data is actually housed in Asheville. And this particular incubator is built around climate change and uh, weather technologies. So they, they've been around a couple years, but they're really starting to get into the phase where they're kicking off different technologies. And um, it's not just weather station type data. It's also seismic data, you know, anything that could at some point affect the climate and it's a really cool interesting space because i think there's a certainly a lot more data out there to be gathered to be properly um, diagnosed when we're talking about things such as climate change or just weather patterns right so uh, a lot of it could be useful from a farming perspective um, a travel perspective right and uh i believe i'm going to go back in about a month they're having uh uh, a large event and uh i think actually one of the speakers is bill nye the science guy which would be kind of mm. be, be yeah. kind of cool uh, mm-hmm. a lot of your traditional ibms weather channel um accuweather type people but then uh, you know a lot of smaller companies that are looking how do you take that big data from a weather and climate perspective um how do you make it more useful for for different types of consumers right and certainly, you know, as we'll talk about in a minute, and we've talked about in the IoT space before, right, the explosion from a sensor standpoint should certainly benefit um, that area um, a lot. Yeah, that's that's quite interesting. You know, I was thinking as you were discussing uh, your experience around um, visiting uh, the weather center and uh, effect on the climate that had um, triggered a memory of an article I had read earlier today, or I'm sorry, earlier this week, where um, there were um, a few hundred head of cattle, I think I want to say 1,500 head of cattle, were uh, being tagged with uh, LoRa tags in a farm down in Australia so that they could do real-time monitoring of uh, cattle production, you know, beef production. And, uh, and you know, tying that, um, tying that to weather data or, you know, are the, are the, are the steer out in the field, um, you know, as, uh, you know, as, uh, let's say, a severe weather event comes in uh, into the area. Now you can know exactly where the cattle are and go recover them because it could be several thousand dollars ahead depending on on what you're raising right it it, i think you know certainly weather is a very interesting um, topic um kind of you and i have our own hobbies i love tracking hurricanes you know actually on the way back to the airport 
um, from the Tributech, I stopped by the Katrina Memorial. Yeah. So um, just kind of an interest of mine personally. So um, definitely looking forward to learning more about some of the new technologies that people are trying to use in the IoT space, the artificial intelligence, you know, big data space with weather. So, yeah, yeah. Well, I uh, one of the visits, so beyond uh, just distributed tech, I was able to visit um, an IoT foundry and uh, actually tour what's going on, um, how developers are creating new products. And I was pretty pretty impressed. Um, it actually triggered a business idea I want to talk to you about sometime, Steve. But, uh, you know, 3D printers, uh, Raspberry Pis, um, LTE CAD-M connections all over the place, and uh, doing rapid prototypes on behalf of developers or established companies. And my eyes, my eyes were opened. And it was pretty interesting. Well, one of the things that opened our eyes this week was an article that we um, kind of stumbled upon and did some reading on that was in Forbes. And really the idea of the article was based around, you know, what lies ahead in 2019 for IoT. And you and I like to pick these articles every once in a while from what's considered a more mainstream uh, magazine or internet site just to get their perspective that gets delivered to a much larger mass than, you know, the average person that may listen to our podcast that's a little bit more in the industry. Oh, come on. We have thousands of listeners out there, Steve. <laughs> my mom they, cannot. They, my... <laughs> they, they just turned off their track cookies, right? Exactly. <laughs> so part of what this article started going into is um, it, was, it was kind of opinionated on the fact that they felt that IoT was a little bit overhyped um, from a maturity standpoint, which you and I both have a <laughs> probably – similar opinion that that's probably not completely true. <laughs> um, you know, well, everybody, you know what they say about opinions. Yeah, exactly. Um, but when, when we narrowed down to some of the points that they had in the article, the first one was based around what we were talking about earlier, 5g, right? So the article was based around, you know, excitement around, you know, IOT and 5g, which certainly I think there's some excitement, but, um, I'll be honest, as someone that works pretty closely with that, you know, I think 2019 is the year that you build 5G, you've got people building things, and then you're really going to have to see where it goes from there. I don't think anyone has a crystal ball to understand exactly from a performance standpoint, from a usage-based standpoint, exactly how it's all going to mesh together. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, just because you hit the switch on 5G doesn't um, doesn't mean the world changes overnight, right? You know, so we just look through history and, um, uh, you know, other technology upgrades in the wireless industries. Um, what will happen, though, you know, once 5G begins, begins to roll out, and we did talk about, you know, the different areas that are considered 5G, is that applicant... Um, you know, developers will start creating applications that we will see in the market in the next nine to 12 months, you know, once the switch flips. Um, but then, you know, some of the stuff that you've been working on, Steve, um, like uh, um, driverless cars, for example, uh, you and I were exchanging, uh, I think, a text message or an email about something like that. Um, 
you know, those types of remote piloting applications, those will definitely come, you know, with low latency um, uh, 5G connections. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and I think that, you know, I think 2019 will be the year when you just see what's possible, right? Because I think you and I have talked about it. You know, the migration from 3G to 4G took took a while. I think, personally, the migration from 4G to 5G is going to take a lot longer. And you can even measure that from the standpoint of, you know, there are a couple of carriers that have released, quote-unquote, 5G-type solutions, but um, there are no coverage maps, right? So when you're when you're rolling things out at ultra-wideband, ultra um, it's very small, dense areas. So um, even, though you're, even though you're developing things for 5G... Um, you've got to make sure it still operates on 4G for quite some time, especially if it's something that's going to be completely mobile across whether it's the globe or the United States. Yep, yep. There's still people in parts of the country that cannot get access to high-speed Internet, reliable high-speed Internet, which is somewhat shocking for some of us that live in metros. No, Absolutely. So the second part of the article, again, kind of rolling back to the conversation we were having about the collider, talks about the explosion of sensors. So you and I have talked a lot about narrowband and M1 technologies. Um, I'm certainly seeing an uptick of, of people that are interested in doing that and migrating away from maybe some of the, the longer uh, type of or longer uh, period solutions that have been built around LoRa and Zigbee. Um, have you started seeing a lot more of that also? Oh, yeah, most most certainly. Um, seeing a lot of activity in the uh, smart cities and um, utility area. But, that's again, that's where I've been refocused. So, um, you know, that's where it captures a majority of my attention. But, you know, when we start, especially with MBIoT, you know, which is still technically, I think, a, a 4G release 13 technology, uh, MBIoT is slated for, um, you know, some carriers are launching in 2019, and some have already launched in other markets, seeing quite a bit of interest there. And you, you see these chipsets that are sub $10 now, $7 for an LTE chipset that can be global um, uh, really kind of powers the imagination of different sensing applications that are being connected. So, um, you know, without going into too many details, but there's all kinds of applications around street lighting and uh, utility poles and sensors and um, uh, meters and all kinds of stuff. So it actually... Um, you know, I would I would agree with the with what you're um, I think driving towards is multiple networks. Um, you know, in the past there were multiple private networks that were out there. Um, we're starting to see this this uh, um, everybody starting to uh, centralize around the GSMA GSMA standards or LTE. So I think uh, you know some of these private networks were sl you know private proprietary networks you know right. that uh, have been out there will s slowly begin to attrition. 
So the the article mentioned cybersecurity, which we'll just kind of skip over the because I want to get to the last part, right? So the last part of the article talked about um, the slow adoption is probably the nice way to put the article uh, of smart cities technologies. So when you read that paragraph or two, what what came across to you? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, it, so it, it's easy to throw a statement out like that without support, without some facts that support it. But realistically, when you talk to cities, um, they they have mechanisms for, um, uh, I guess what the author calls a smart city, right? So there are city, there are different departments of a city that do traffic management. Then there are some that do public safety or shot spotter, um, and then there's some video surveillance. Uh, there could be air quality. There's parking, parking enforcement. Uh, a whole host of different applications, and most cities recognize that there is a need to to uh, take that information and um, and do something actionable, either on a Monday meet, Monday morning meeting with the mayor, or or some kind of staff meeting, or or driving a holistic initiative. Surprisingly, cities are already cities that. You know that author is say, saying that um, there really isn't IQ uh, being driven into the smart cities. I think that comment is a snapshot in time um, that really isn't supported by um, what I would say some 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 facts. Because when you actually go to these trade shows and you meet CIOs of of the cities and the city managers, it's definitely on their radar screen. They're trying to figure out. What data do they need, um, and uh, what is actionable to them? So I would say that cities are already going down this path. Uh, it's very, um, you know, when you talk to them, they are very, uh, they are very focused on uh, citizen engagement, public safety, um, health and wellness, as well as, um, um, you know the revenue sources, either from, you know, parking enforcement or speeding or something like that. Right. And I think, so maybe, I, can, and I think maybe that disconnect comes from traditional smart cities technologies that have been around for quite some time. We're built to automate. We're built to benefit the city, right? So there's a lot of stuff that goes on in the city that your average, you know, city consumer doesn't see. The newer technologies are the ones that are more beneficial to the taxpayers. And yes, those are one a little bit harder to roll out depending on how big your city is. But I, I think I think the technology has been there. I think the technology continues to go into smart cities today. I, I think that from your average uh, you know, city consumer in a smart city, you didn't notice a lot of them for the past couple of years. I think as new ones come out, right, that are a little bit more focused on making life easier or things easier for your your taxpayers, you know, I think that'll give everyone a little bit better feel about what's out there from a smart city's perspective, right? Things they can see. They can't see you monitoring wastewater runoff and all sorts of things like that, right? 
Yeah, they're already doing wastewater runoff. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. That's already, you know, I mean, there are companies, you know, they've been doing that for quite a while, right? And traffic light control. And, yeah. Those are things just yeah. your, your average citizen doesn't really know they're going on, though. So I think a lot right. of times the yeah. smart the smart city's opinion comes from more of that consumer standpoint, right? You and I know what the cities are doing, but your average guy that lives in the city doesn't know they do wastewater runoff or they he doesn't even know that they're collecting traffic data, right? But... Yeah. That, you know, maybe the the moment they put in something such as smart lighting, and all of a sudden, hey, those lights used to be on all the time. Now they turn off automatically, or just something simple like a a parking solution somewhere. Like, oh, well, now I know where how to find an e- a parking place easier, right? Right. Um, I think that those types of technologies are easier to see as a taxpayer, and I think that you know, obviously, someone that was writing that article probably sees more of those types of solutions as smart cities as opposed to all the stuff that's been out there and continues to get put in today. Yeah. I mean, it's possibly the authors coming at it from the perspective of, of like if he, he or she opens their, opens a, like a, a map, a Google map application and they're able to see vacant parking spots, you know, on a Google platform and then reserve that slot. Maybe that's what they're, they're kind of thinking, but um, yeah, you know, I, it, the, the information is there. You just have to hunt for it, right? You know, so like a popular application that I use in the wintertime, um, cause I live in Iowa, uh, we tend to get snow and ice is, uh, quite frequently I'll go on the, uh, if I'm going to go on a road trip, I will fire, fire up Iowa's Department of Transportation and you can actually see where the snowplow trucks are and you can see the live video that's coming from the dash cams of the snow truck, right? So you can see, is the road really covered or is it not? And can I risk going out there? Um, you know, so that information is there. Now, so maybe the author is saying, well, um, they want to see that information in some kind of centralized platform. And once they see it and they can get the information that they're looking for, then the city has an IQ, you know, it's what the author had said. And that's possible. Maybe it's the presentation layer that is uh, driving the author uh, um, to, to make the statements, which is a business opportunity for any of you platform players out there. Exactly. Well, <laughs> well, I, th- I think this has been a good discussion, Brian. I know you and I are working on the background to uh, fill out our uh, – our guest spot over the next couple podcasts. And certainly we appreciate everyone tuning in today and uh, look forward to bringing some new information to everyone soon. So uh, thanks for listening and thanks for joining today, Brian, and look forward to the next podcast with you. Yeah. Likewise. Good to, good to talk to you, Steve and everybody else and send us feedback. Yep. Sounds great. Thanks everyone.